0: You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Our guest today our Matthew Roberts, Cal Hawk, and uh, the crew from Crow's Bar Cabaret will be joining us as well. Uh, Chris and Ella, but we do have Matthew Roberts from Sex Work, Law Reform Victoria and Working Man in the studio. Hello. Hi there, James. Victoria's got this incredible planning law in relation to sex work. Uh, do tell.
1: Yes. So... In relation to sex work, in order for sex workers to work legally, they need two levels of laws to be changed. One is the criminal laws, and we achieve that through decriminalisation, the bill that passed in February. But the second level of laws is the local government planning schemes, and that also needs to be changed. And what I'm so excited about is that we fought to have the Victoria Planning Provisions radically changed to remove discrimination against sex workers to enable them to work legally as a normal business according to both criminal laws and local planning scheme laws.
0: So those laws kick in in December next year, correct? The planning laws and also the second tract of the decriminalisation of sex work in Victoria.
1: Yeah, so all of these positive changes, not now, They they will kick in December 1st next year.
0: So Matthew, does that mean that yes, sex workers, you know, can do outbound visits and um, it's all decriminalised, but they can't do sex work at home yet? Is that the case?
1: Yeah, that that pretty much sums it up. We're in this transition phase where part of the act has been repealed and part is still there. So it's kind of a complicated situation, but the way that you described it, it sums up where we are right now. So, oh,
0: gee, so that sounds pretty complicated. Um, how's that impacting on sex workers?
1: Well, you know, there are still questions um, from sex workers about what actually applies right now. What can I do? What can I not do? But generally it's a, well, I, I mean, we're very happy about these pending changes because it will mean that sex workers can work from home like other people. They can uh, establish brothels in a wider range of areas beyond industrial zones and that they will be treated basically the same as hairdressers. It's in the same category as hairdressers in the planning schemes. So it'll give us greater options about where we can work, how we can work and we won't need to fear either council authorities or the police once these changes come in. So working from home...
0: Comes under planning law. Uh, Local government has a huge role in that. Is it possible that local government could make it so difficult in some local government areas that sex workers couldn't work from home?
1: Possibly. I mean, the the great thing about the um, Victoria planning provisions is that the minister, uh, Minister Wynne he can pass these changes statewide and the councils can can't stop it. So he brought them in. Yes. Uh,
0: Lizzie Blanthorne's the new minister. But Dick Wynne actually brought in this world kind of, you know, kind of groundbreaking planning legislation around sex workers. It went under the radar.
1: You know, it really did. I mean, as a sex worker... Activist, I feel that these planning laws are actually more significant for sex workers' rights than the criminal laws. And the media really hasn't covered it. I believe, James, that these new planning laws are the most pro-sex worker in the world. So,
0: what's going to happen with local governments? Like, you know, how do they basically do the planning? Is it basically just, you know, a little bit of finessing? Um, Like, you know, how's it going to work? Is it going to be really, really bureaucratic?
1: Hopefully not. So, it comes under home-based businesses, which is a clause in the Victoria Planning Provisions, and that enables any type of business service type business to operate from home with restrictions. So once again, I need to emphasize here to your listeners, we're not talking about no regulation or open slather. There will still be regulations restricting the size of the property, restricting the number of people who can work from that home, and it can only occur at the permanent residence of the sex worker. So not like Airbnb, It'll need to be where you're living permanently. So there will still be some restrictions. And of course, you can't disturb the neighbours, whether you're doing sex work or anything else. You have to be quiet and you must be respectful for um, the neighbours. So it's going to be continue to be a well-regulated well, well environment and sex workers will need to be respectful of neighbours like anyone else would have to be.
0: So we've got this environment where on one level uh, sex work's completely decriminalised, the second track's kicking in next year, as are the planning laws. Do we have any councils that are kind of, you know, anti-sex work that are kind of on the lookout right now for sex workers working at home and perhaps um, monitoring them?
1: Well, we've certainly had a number of councils that have been protesting quite loudly in the media and to state government about these changes. And so there's actually a bit of stiff competition, James, for the worst offenders. Uh, would you like me to name name them? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's what we want to know. We want to know who the bad councils are. Okay. So when it comes to sex work, uh, as I said, the stiff competition, we've got Borondara, that's Hawthorne to Camberwell, City of Melton, Brimbank covers Sunshine to St Albans, Mornington and Kingston, which is Moorabbin to Carrum. They would be probably the top five worst offenders, I would say. Okay, so
0: how? How so?
1: Well, they've very loudly um, opposed decriminalisation. Some of them have passed motions to oppose it. When I spoke at a council meeting at Borondara with Cheryl Overs late last year, uh, the count, what followed was a string of anti-sex worker voices. So... Each council is sort of anti-sex work in their own way. Melton has a lot of rhetoric about about children being impacted by naughty sex workers. Mornington Peninsula was worried about the cost of that they'll have to bear in regulating the industry. Um Borundara sort of appears to be have a more idea of an ideological uh, opposition to it. So there's a lot of really stigmatizing and quite frankly, inaccurate rhetoric around sex work in the suburbs. It's already happening, James. Thousands of sex workers are already working from home. These changes will enable those workers to work with the law, recognizing what they're doing so they can go to the authorities if something goes wrong. We, we will not see an increase in the number of sex workers or of an expansion of brothels or things like that. So a lot of these fears are unfounded. And I and I ask your listeners, James, to think about with their own experience on their own street. Street Street-based sex work became mostly decriminalised in May of this year, four months ago. Have your listeners seen more street-based sex workers on their street? Because I haven't on my street.
0: You've done some freedom of information, detective work in relation to local government and private
1: investigators, and sex workers,
0: what can you tell us?
1: So, yes, it's a bit of a detective work to sort of drill down on exactly what they're doing. What we found was that Still to this day, some councils are paying private investigators to entrap and trick sex workers in suspected illegal brothels um, into services for the purpose of gathering evidence for police prosecutions. And the two offenders are Brimbank Council, which in in 2019-20 to spent over $20,000 of ratepayers' money on these private investigators, And we've also got Kingston Council spent over $70,000 of ratepayers' money since 2013. And James, the only thing that stopped these councils was the pandemic when lockdowns occurred. That was really the only thing that stopped them.
0: And did it stop when the Sex Work Decriminalisation Act was passed in Victoria?
1: We don't know. We haven't got data that's that most recent. The laws actually, as you said before, won't actually change until the end of next year. So it's hard to say. Um, What I will say is that we don't have evidence that the private investigators paid for by councils were actually having sex with the sex workers. They were asking for sexual services but not actually receiving it. That said, when one of our board members questioned Brimbank Council to ask whether the private investigators actually do have sex, inside those um, places, they refused to answer and wouldn't rule it out.
0: Wow, okay, that's pretty controversial. And uh, good detective work from Sex Work Law Reform Victoria. Through freedom of information I made out, it was all there, going through the proper channels.
1: We we obtained all the invoices and... um I have to say, in many cases, we had to we had to seek review or, or appeal because there was a bit of battle to get hold of those documents. But now that we have them, the picture is clear. Some councils are still entrapping sex workers, and that's not on.
0: Wow. We don't actually know if it's happening now, though. There's a bit of a grey area, perhaps, but it certainly happened in the past before the decriminalisation legislation kicked in.
1: Yeah, so prior to the pandemic in sort of April, of, April March of 2020... We have evidence that it was occurring then. Since the pandemic and the lockdowns hit, we don't know what's happening now. And one of the big problems with these councils is that there's a high level of secrecy and they don't want to reveal what they're actually doing. How does that impact on sex workers in the area? Well, it's, it's, it's actually really really tra- uh, tragic and terrible. And it, it creates a lot of trauma. We have one of our volunteers was entrapped in the many years ago, prior to t- 2010, when it was more common, and it was sexual contact there. And she's really traumatized to this day. And um, it creates what I call collective harm. And I think this kind of activity erodes trust between sex workers and authorities, and I think it's gonna take a very long time, similar to the LGBTIQ community, it'll take a very long time to rebuild that trust.
0: Did any prosecutions actually happen as a result of those council's actions that you're aware of?
1: Yes, we do know, I think Brimbank, I think there were seven illegal brothels that were declared illegal brothels at court. Each entrapment at Brimbank, by the way, cost $4,000 per entrapment uh, there. So that's another good question, James. Are we seeing a success rate here or is it just a waste of money? We don't know the answer to that, but we do know that some, on many occasions, there were successful um, court outcome, well, successful for the council's point of view, right? That there was a a court determining that that place was an illegal brothel.
0: Matthew Roberts, you are always a wealth of information. Uh, What can we expect from Sex Work Law Reform Victoria in the coming months in terms of your policy
1: advocacy? We can... uh, People can expect a lot. We've got an an election guide coming up for the state election talking about which parties performed well for sex workers, and that'll be coming out in in a couple of weeks' time. And I think people will be very interested to see what we have to say from... The very best to the very worst. Are you still optimistic that sex work
0: won't be an election issue?
1: It hasn't been yet. I don't want it to be because we've we've always argued this is a worker health and safety issue, not a party polit you know political issue. I really hope that it doesn't become that, but we'll have to just just, just wait and see.
0: Yeah, I mean, there could be some scaremongering from councils and that may be tempting for the state Liberal Party to kind of, you know, pick up and run with that. We hope not.
1: We hope not. I mean, councils have been crying um, loudly in protest against these changes for probably 12 months now and I don't expect that to stop. But ultimately, the laws have been approved. They're set in stone. They're confirmed. And councils really can't do much about it. Matthew Roberts, always great to chat with you on 3CR. Thanks so much, James.
2: Night swimming deserves a quiet night with photograph on the dashboard Taken years ago, turned around backwards so the windshield shows. Every street light reveals a picture in reverse. Still, it's so much clearer. I forgot my shirt at the water's edge. Slow tonight, night swim. her they cannot see me they can things they go away replaced by every day night swimming remembering that night September's coming soon I'm pining for the what if there were two side by side in orbit around the fairest sun The bright tight ever drum not describe night swimming You I thought I knew you You I cannot judge. I thought you knew me this one laughing quietly underneath my breath night swimming.
0: Joined by Cal Hawk from Thorn Harbor Health. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Monkeypox is the
3: talk of the town. Sure. Uh, tell us about the case numbers. So as far as we know today, it's still about the same, and it's kind of leveled out this week, which is, I guess, a good news story. Um, the active cases have gone down a little bit. So Victoria, I think, is still sitting at about 67, and active cases has dropped down to seven now. So in the middle of the week, it was probably about 11, went down to eight and whatnot. Um, so it kind of looks like we're getting on in front of this. It doesn't mean it's over, and it doesn't mean we couldn't have a resurgence, but it does mean that the the case numbers are kind of going down um, and that we might be able to sort of still Get in front of this before it gets out of control. 22,000 uh, vaccine doses uh, were scheduled to arrive this month in Australia. Has that happened? Well, I couldn't tell you exactly the a number that have arrived in Australia. I know we're expecting more um, in Victoria in the next few weeks. We're expecting probably another 10,000 doses. And even when I say that, that's based, I, th- I believe, on the kind of when we were looking at uh, the original treatment of monkeypox. So there's been a change in the ATAGI guidelines. So ATAGI decides on how the monkeypox vaccine is actually, well, any immunization program is rolled out in Australia. And those guidelines changed back uh, in the last fortnight. And that means that Originally, Gineos, so or the imavune vaccine, depending on what part of the world you're in, previously you got basically a 0.5 mil injection, what they call subcutaneously. It was kind of in your arm, the same way you'd get like a COVID vaccine. Um, that changed, and now they're doing one that's called intradermal, which is a little bit different. It's a much smaller needle, and it's kind of just under the surface of the skin, um, and it kind of feel, looks like a blister at first, and then once it's absorbed in the skin, it kind of looks like a mosquito bite, but you only need uh, basically one-fifth. Of the amount of it, which means all those vials out there, we can now get probably about four, maybe five doses out of them. So when we say there's you know ten thousand more doses in there, it actually could be quadruple that. So the dose sharing
0: is happening that wasn't necessarily happening when the doses were first introduced in Australia.
3: That's exactly right. And when Australia was advocating for access to vaccination, because the big issue that we have globally is that we have vaccine scarcity. So the company that produces the Immovie Ingenios vaccine is Bavarian Nordic, and they're a very small operation when you compare them to a lot of the other pharmaceutical companies. In Denmark. Out there. Yes, that's quite, quite right. Yes. So that's, um, that's a
0: huge boost, being able to do that dose sharing. Uh, that must give Thorn Harbour and the Victorian Health Department and uh, other health services involved in vaccine distribution enormous kind of you know confidence that they can go out there and uh, be proactive, which is what you're doing. You've done pop-up clinics at the Victorian Pride Centre and also at Saunas.
3: Yeah, so we did some SOPV outreach in that kind of early stages because um, SOPV populations were identified as a particularly at-risk group. So we were kind of commissioned to do that from the Department of Health. Um, but there's just a lot of you know, difficulties and logistics they have to work out because of course those are venues that oftentimes charge or typically charge patients to come in there and we don't want access to the access to be behind a paywall. So we've been looking at other ways to do that sort of outreach. And so we did the Victorian Pride Center this past weekend really, really successfully and this coming weekend we're actually kind of do a north side south side uh, activation and we'll be doing uh, pop-up clinics again, um, one up in in Preston at your community health, the PANCH location. And then we're working in partnership with Star Health to do a, vac- a pop, a pop-up vaccine clinic down at the Paran Town Hall as well, which a lot of folks would remember that space was used for a lot of COVID vaccination previously. So who did the vaccinations at within Wellington, the sauna? So with the sauna activations, it was kind of coordinated. So the Department of Health asked Thorn Harbor, can you do this? So in a matter of a couple of days, we reached out to um, clinicians and you know nurses from a couple other practices and sort of did that initial outreach. Um, and yeah, and basically tried to reach that kind of at-risk population because even though... You know the official line is that this isn't a sexually transmitted infection. For all intents and purposes, this is moving explicitly through sexual networks.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you've got that infrastructure in place at Thorn Harbour, which was formerly the Victorian AIDS Council Gay Men's Health Centre, and you've got a history of doing outreach. They did the Beats outreach for many years, and of course, you've got all that infrastructure from you know mobilising the community around HIV. Well, I
3: think the. Biggest infrastructure that we have really is volunteers, and volunteers have been a massive part of this process. So the fact that we've got, you know, uh, when we were first dealing with this, people were going to a lot of these clinics and they didn't know where to go because a lot of the clinics that were on there were only really treating people that they had on the books already, um, and understandably, because the sexual health infrastructure in Victoria could probably be a heck of a lot better, um, but. what, What happened was we were basically able to mobilize, and you're right, a lot of the lessons that we've learned in responding to sexual health more broadly, and HIV in particular, We've been able to sort of mobilize that and do this, but it is actually something that has come together quite quickly. And the biggest difference to something uh, like other outreach like what we would do at SOPVs normally around sexual health information is we've got to transport and work the logistics out with this vaccine because it actually has to be transported and kept at a certain temperature or no longer is viable. So that introduces some new things, plus the change in the guidelines that Atagi introduced, not everyone knows – Every clinician is used to that application of an intradermal vaccination versus a subcutaneous one, which is how most folks receive vaccines. So moving the vaccine
0: around when you're going to the Pride Center or going to a sauna, that sounds quite complicated. How, totally. do you keep it, how do you keep it the right temperature, obviously with refrigeration? but
3: Right. And, you know, look, our clinic manager, Peter Locke, who I have to give a shout out to, because he's been doing some amazing work in a very abbreviated time frame. He could work out all of those kind of technical details. But yeah, it's it's uh, both something they have to work out with any of this um, kind of vaccine rollout. But it's also, too, one of those barriers that prevents us from doing this in a more widespread way. Uh, a lot of people would, uh, you know, love to see us do this in regional settings and whatnot. But that's one of the logistics is getting vaccine out to those places and keeping it viable um it's a challenge so you would have had um lines of guys in their towels lining up for a monkeypox vaccination at wit well look i could i can't say exactly what it seems like there i think a lot of people kind of ha- found out about it through social media and so a lot of people weren't even in towels but i suppose there'd be some there as well um that being said as you mentioned before our volunteers who've worked, done sopv outreach that wouldn't necessarily be a new setting to work within um but yeah look it's um I think I think regardless of uh, what everyone was wearing and up to, we have had a massive amount of community interest, and that's great um, because it comes back to people taking agency and control of their sexual health and well being. Thorn Harbour has great infrastructure around community education campaigns, around sexual health. Tell us what you're doing in relation to Monkeypox. So with Monkeypox, we really started to roll stuff out in kind of May of this year when we first started to sort of see this emerge. And it's only sort of increased. But it's a bit of a balancing act because with Monkeypox, we, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know you know, to, in our traditional understanding of monkeypox, we've always been talking about skin to skin, people were talking about respiratory droplets. Um, and really, you know, we thought contact with the postules or the lesions, if you will, not to gross everybody out here, but was like your major risk point. But when you look at the epidemiology three months in, this hasn't moved outside of sexual health net- or haven't moved outside of sexual networks very much. It's pretty much still 98% of the cases around the world are all amongst men who have sex with men so we knew from previous research that it was largely uh, there was a presence of monkeypox virus in seminal fluid but now it seems like this is really the mode of transmission or the highest risk factor and so that kind of puts some of your health promotion messaging on its head around well what are risk mitigation factors that people can use to limit that risk Um, and so yeah it's it's a challenge but uh, we've been having messaging out there um, from the community and trying to use what evidence we do know out there and getting you know tapping into that network of clinicians that we've worked with uh, to really make sure that we can give people the best information so they can make decisions for their health and well-being are we seeing much symptom variation in victoria I couldn't. I couldn't speak. Uh, I guess on that clinical level to know, but I guess from what I have heard, it's largely, sim- you know, similar to the rest of the world. We don't have any sort of anomalies. There are differences um, that would vary from the cases that we've heard in other places. So, largely for most people, it's a self-limiting illness, means that your body will clear it within three to four weeks. And for a lot of folks, it's a relatively mild illness. Um, but for about ten percent, it is going to be moderate to severe, and it tends to be for those people that have moderate to severe cases. It tends to be associated with where the lesions are. So a lot of the lesions are presenting in like genital and anal uh, areas. And that's not typical of monkeypox as we understood it prior to this global outbreak. Um, But that presence there, especially if they're inside your anus, um, can be really uncomfortable and get in the way of, you know, a bowel movement or something like that. And so that's where folks are kind of uh, in a lot of pain. But again, the treatment in this instance is really about pain management in those, you know, moderate to severe cases, which are the minority. And I guess you know having to isolate for three weeks—is it? That's that's a that's a huge burden for people. Absolutely, I mean we definitely that's a learning that we took from COVID too. Is that asking people to isolate for that period of time? It is a um, is a hindrance, you know. Um, but I guess in the matter of public health, to some extent, folks are also kind of used to it at this point. Um, but yeah, it's it's a big ask for people along the way. Um, You know, thankfully, we have infrastructure there for a lot of people to still be able to work from home um, following COVID. But for some folks, we realize that's not a possibility. And if folks are really in a bad way, we do encourage them to contact us to look at ways that we can help support them. So there's no kind of, you know, Centrelink program in place to, to kind of, you know, give people a wage subsidy. Not that I'm aware of as an official program, but again, if folks were in a bad way, especially if they're, you know, within, you know, our LGBTI communities, men who have sex with men, which is pretty much all the cases that we are seeing in Australia, we would encourage them to reach out to Thorn Harbour and let us know if there's support that they need and we can see what programs are out there that they may be able to to access. So what's it like working at Thorn Harbour
0: during a monkeypox outbreak? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's a a new epidemic, isn't
3: it? Well, I don't know if it's a new epidemic. I mean, the, the caseload is still really small, but it throws people. And I think what we've seen too is that folks are I think we can say a little bit traumatized post-COVID, especially here in Melbourne after the periods of lockdown. And it triggers a lot of things for folks around, well, where does this new thing that we've never heard of before that's come out here and postules and that physical presentation of stuff kind of freaks a lot of people out. I mean, if I was being entirely honest with you, if you think about, you know, like I said before, monkeypox is a self-limiting illness. When you compare it to some of the other STIs out there, it isn't as serious in the grand scheme of things. Um, if you got late stage syphilis that would be a much bigger health concern concern. concern um, than monkeypox would. But it's thrown people and it scares a lot of people. And I think that's, you know, something that we're very, very mindful of at the moment. Um, But really what it is, is the fact that we haven't dealt with this before, that this sort of came out of nowhere, because previously it was really only very few small, small parts of the world. It's kind of sidelined a lot of us. So there's business as usual. And as you can appreciate, Thorn Harbour is a non-for-profit. So there's not a, a plethora of capacity. Everyone that's working there has a pretty uh, massive workload as it is. And this is, um, in some instances... Quadrupled or doubled that, or whatever the case may be, but put a lot of added pressure on us, and we're incredibly grateful, especially for the volunteers that have been able to step up and help us respond to this. Absolutely. Are you finding you're getting an influx of people wanting to vo- wanting to volunteer, wanting to help out? Yeah. Look, I mean, we have. Uh, I mean, Thorn Harbour has relied on volunteers since day one of its founding back in '83, and the volunteers have come out of the woodwork. Um, a lot of volunteers that actually helped us with things in like the early stages of the COVID response. Some of them were sort of of coming offline and, you know, kind of had empty hands and were willing to lend their skills and passion and time to us, and they've come back online. Um, and it's been great to see a mix of volunteers. The call center that we do to work through that expression of interest list um, is actually in the same area of the building that I'm in, up at 200 Hoddle Street, and it's been great to see a mix of faces of volunteers that are relatively young, as well as, you know, I was talking to a volunteer of ours the other day that just celebrated 35 years with the organization. Of course, the monkeypox vaccine is available to all men who have sex with men in Victoria, yeah? Yeah, that's correct. And also sex workers who have sex with men who have sex with men. How do people get a vaccination? So probably the easiest way to get a vaccination at this point is to probably go to thornharbor.org slash monkeypox. We have a registration page um, there that you can put your... uh, uh, details in and our volunteer. you'll be sent an SMS with a hotline to call the volunteers to book an appointment. That's for um, specific hours and days of the week. Um, if you do want to take a crack at the walk-in, you can do that. Like I said, coming up on this Saturday or Sunday, we'll be um, at Your Community Health up in Preston, as well as in partnership with Star Health down at Prairie Town Hall. That's Saturday and Sunday of this week. But head to the Thorn Harbor website for those details. Cal Hawk from Thorn Harbour Health. Thank you so much for joining me today on 3CR and
0: uh, congratulations to Thorn Harbour, the staff and the volunteers and the community for mobilising around this monkeypox outbreak. Thanks James. You're on in your face on 3CR and here's Christina Aguilera.
4: Underneath the city lights There is a few you know rules don't apply And you can she comes through the club looking for a good time. Gonna make that shake that money on a dime. Don't be a sugar daddy, she can work it just fine. Up on the table, she'll be dancing all night. Yeah, all night. Baby, now just comes alive under.
5: Show. Hey hey, hey, hey. the boys again to show what little do more, more.
1: It ain't over till we say, and we've only just
5: begun. And if COVID has shown anything, no government in Australia has had a planned approach to safety in terms of workers under COVID. Everything's been done knee-jerk. So whilst you've got market capitalism operating from a market perspective, we're only ever going to get knee-jerk things which involve huge exploitation, inequity and racism. None of these things are being planned or addressed in any long-term way. It's all stopgap and knee-jerk, and it is because of the role of the market. Subscribe to 3CR, workers' rights and union struggles. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377.
4: God who made honky-tonk angels As you say in the words of your song Too many times married men think they're still single that has caused many a good girl to go wrong It's a shame all the blame is on us us women women. It's not true that only human men feel the same From From the start
0: God who made honky tonk angels. You aren't in your face on 3CR with James. I'm joined by Chris Molyneux to chat about COVID Rat Cabaret, which is a production by Crowsbar Cabaret, and it's happening at the Butterfly Club from the twenty-sixth of September to the first of October. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi James, nice to be here. Tell us about the production.
6: The production. Well, uh, what is it? It's cabaret. So it's singing, it's dancing, it's um, raunchy, it's fun, it's funny. It will keep you entertained and it will keep you laughing with luck the whole hour through. Because, I mean, it's kind of about a breakout after being in COVID lockdowns (laughs) for so long, yeah? Hence the rats. That's exactly right. So it started as a Zoom sort of collaboration for us trapped artists going insane in our homes wanting to do something, and Ella Falah, who's the creator of this work, got us all together, making these Zoom characters going crazy locked up, and then once we got let out and this whole new world of people not being sure about being out, and people not sure about wanting to go out, and are we still the rats in the cage, or are we not? Um de Gelder, who's an amazing comedy writer, came on board and wrote these little dialogues to connect the monologues all together. So you've got a collection of video and dialogue and song and dance routine, and it's all come together in this beautiful little cabaret. Tell us about your role. Me, well, I'm Randy Andy, <laughs> uh the pantheistic phantom of the high-rise community. That's um <laughs> my character description. Um I'm a little bit of a, a I guess a Gnostic, a lost soul. I didn't really cope with lockdown too well and uh, fell in love with a few of my raincoats. And I like to give advice. I like to free the letters into the world. And, you know, if I see a goldfish in a bowl, I want to set it free. Wow. Tell us about Ruth Kallarellos. She's in the production? She's in the production and she's an exciting role. She's our Fraulein Freud, our, dare I say it, raunchy psychiatrist who takes us through our Zoom sessions as we try to cope with being the rats in the COVID rat cage cabaret.
0: (laughs) People will really relate to this because we're all rats in those cages during our seven lockdowns here in Melbourne.
6: Exactly. Well, that's what I'm hoping. It seems like we've got, we've got a Karen, we've got a couple of normal people, we've got a therapist who I think a lot of is invested in during that period, and we've got someone who didn't cope. It seems like we have a lot of our bases covered. Tell us about the Karen. The Karen, oh, beautiful Karen. You know, one of my favourite lines from the show, and I, I shouldn't give it away, but it is about Bunnings and it does involve sausage. So you should really just come along for that line alone. But she, she's very demanding. She gets very upset very easily. An absolutely hideous character, played beautifully by Maureen Hartley, who's been treading our boards in Melbourne here for the last, oh, I shouldn't say how many years because she'd be offended. I'm sure it's only five.
0: So tell us about the normal people. I mean,
6: that would be a tough role to play considering all these other characters, you know. How do they do it? So we've got Claire Nichols and um, Adam Ibbotson and Claire is an actor of uh, considerable talent and experience and Adam is, he is just a breath of fresh air who's a joy to work with and they bring their natural, beautiful selves to the stage and express just humanity that you want to go and give a, a hug to at a distance with a mask on and maybe some gloves. It's, 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 um, oh, yeah, they, they portray the everyman in a way that, that just makes you smile. So tell us about how you ended up in this role. Like, what's the backstory? Well, the backstory is that we were all this bunch of artists going crazy, not knowing what to do. All of our gigs were being cancelled. We couldn't get together to make work. And Ella got us together and said, listen, we're all going crazy. Let's go crazy together. Because all... you and Ruth were doing a show together at La Mama and it got cancelled, Yeah. Yeah, it got cancelled, I think, a couple of times. So, (laughs) (laughs) yes, that's right. So with that, it started off with that group of talent, but then sort of as people drifted in and out of social contact and sanity, I guess, during those seven lockdowns, we ended up with the cast we've got at the moment with Ella drawing on the vast amount of talent she has access to and... Developed these characters, she wrote us these crazy dialogues, it gave us some sanity through the lockdowns, just the constant weekly catch-up to build the characters, decide what they were saying, work out how they were saying it, kept us in contact, kept us in contact with our art, and from there it just grew legs.
0: Yeah, Alice the glue that binds all this together? Uh, An amazing artist who's got this great history with so many performers through Crows Bar
6: Cabaret. My goodness, yes. She's been doing it for, again, I don't want to be insulting, but I think over 40 years she's been creating cabaret in and around Melbourne. Um, You know, uh, grew up in Poland with a background in classical Polish music and just has taken that and her roots into the Weimar cabaret sound and created this beautiful work that is could only be described as her own. Um, There's the the show she did about the woman who gave birth to the policeman who was actually a pig. Um, You know, there's... (laughs) Uh, there's the show, you know, with Pauline Hanson, who, I can't remember who she had sex with, but I'm sure it was someone strange. Listen, her, her, sense of humor is amazing. Her output is incredible. She is a powerhouse of a woman who just keeps on making, making, making. If she's not screaming at someone because she loves them, there's something going wrong with Ella. So tell us about what she does in the production. What she does, apart from most everything. Well, she's the penis. She writes the music. She writes the words. Will we hear her sing? No. One thing Ella does not do is sing. She'll um, give you a hint of how the melody goes, but basically she gives you your music, she gives you the backing track, and you sing the song. Singing is not one thing she does. She gets a band together, she plays the music, she writes it. She's magic, but she doesn't sing. (laughs) But you're singing. I'll be singing. Um, Would you like me to sing something for you now? Yes, please do. A covert rat in isolation On a treadmill of self-exploration Craving a thrill of killer rat race rage Yet once released back into race The other rat's shit cannot face And scuttles back into his cage
0: Where did you learn to sing like that?
6: Well, actually, with Ella. <laughs> I'd been acting for 20 years and believing I couldn't sing until Ella put me in a cabaret and made me just get up on stage and do it. And then with a band behind me and an audience in front of you, you've got no choice, but you just dive head first in, and there was my voice. So how long ago was it that you discovered your voice? Oh, that would be oh, probably about 10 years ago now. I've probably been working with her on and off. I think I met her first in... Oh, I was 33 and I'm 46, so 13 years ago. Um, and I've been working with her on and off since then. So it took me a while to get actually on stage with her. I studied as a theatre designer and worked in that industry for a while first. But eventually she got me, you know, as I say, on stage singing and dancing and now she can't keep me away.
0: So before you met her, were you a dancer? No.
6: No. No. No, I was an actor and designer.
0: Right. So you never thought you could sing, never thought you could dance. And then one day you discovered you could move and you certainly discovered you could sing. What was all that like to realize that?
6: Oh, it was just, that, that was just a joy. It was, a, you know, to, to discover that, you know, when you open your mouth, people don't wince is, <laughs> was a magic moment for me. Um, now you can't really shut me up. I, I sing it at drop of a hat, as you can tell, and um, love every moment of it. No, she's opened up a whole new world for me. <laughs> so Ella's a bit of a singing teacher as well. Singing teacher, well, she just gives you no choice. She just puts you on the stage and with a band and says sing. And you sink or swim. And generally, she's a very good pick of the people who will uh, swim. I was about to say sink. No, they don't sink. Yeah. <laughs> the people who can swim. Um, you know, Ruth's got a great voice and you'll be hearing her sing.
0: Great jazz singer. We've had her on the show before, actually. And she did that great production last year with Maud Davy at uh, Chapel of Chapel, which I think was um, goddesses of jazz.
6: Yeah, and sultry, wasn't it? You know, she, just, she's, she is beautiful to listen to. And so she's, um, as our Fraulein Freud, she sings us through our therapy and injects us with mysterious vaccines. Um, but we get a lot of Ruth's beautiful voice, and it's just a joy to be around it.
0: So give us those details so people can rock along to this incredible production. Uh, it's by Crows Bar Cabaret, and uh, it's called COVID Rat
6: Cabaret. Yeah, COVID Rat Cabaret. I think we're using Cabaret. The, the German pronunciation with a K, COVID Rat Cabaret, a bit of alliteration going on. So we're at the Butterfly Club, uh, which is in Carston Place in the city, just behind David Jones, and um, uh, from September the twenty sixth to October the first at eight thirty pm. Wow. At the Butterfly Club,
0: which is a wonderful venue and so supportive of such a variety of artists, uh, including our glorious queer community.
6: Oh, it's a it is a it's a wonderful place to be as a queer artist. It's it's. You know, there's queer people on staff, there's always queer people in the audience, there's generally queer people backstage. It is supportive of our community. It's a warm, welcoming space, it's full of eclectica. um, Initially established by uh, a a queer man who left his uh, estate for the Butterfly Club to be established. And there's a wonderful portrait of him in a dress in the foyer, which you should check out when you come and see the show. Uh, and there's always a cocktail behind the bar, which is a speciality for the show. So I suggest you come and try that one out too. Now, al has given us some music to play, uh, produced by
0: Crow's Bar Cabaret, and uh, this track is called Obsessions. Thank you so much for joining me on In Your Face. Thanks, James. And we've been chatting with Chris Molyneux uh, all about COVID, Rat Cabaret. You are on In Your Face on 3CR. Obsessions, they
5: all are the same. Goings on, goings on, goings on. They reach. Of bad taste and disgrace and they smell of cologne, of cologne. They come down from heaven like ravens and grab that you got And you know that sooner or later you must surrender, confess all you've spent and pop up and throw up and give up and your mom to wander on uh-huh. as soon as the night hits the town. Uh-huh. And you beg it from enemies, best friends, and worst enemies, the devils and miseries, and other contemporaries. You yeah, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me one more time. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, it to me one more time. The town, and you beg it from enemies, best friends, and worst enemies—the devils and miseries and other contemporaries. Yeah, give it, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me one more time. Give it, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me
0: one more time. And we'll catch you next week on in your face. Taking us out are the Chemical Brothers with Beth Orton.
4: Thank you.